Well, what's up, Timber Creek? My name is Courtney Mendoza. I am so excited to be with you as we continue jumping into our Summer Vibes series. Anyone been enjoying this series so far this summer? All right, feeling those summer vibes. As we've been going through this series, we've been walking through the book of Philippians. And as we've been walking through this book, we've talked a whole lot about happiness. And it's occurred to me, as we've talked about happiness, that while this is a pretty common word that we all understand, happiness means different things to different people. You may hear the word happiness and it may take you back to a place or a person, maybe it's a certain time in your life, maybe it's a pastime. Maybe you are an athlete or a runner, maybe you really enjoy exercise and you just love being out there, being outdoors, exercising. I mean, these people look happier running than I've ever been running in my life, but maybe you love exercise, love running, love that, that energetic feeling. Maybe you love baking or cooking, getting in the kitchen, whether it's just for fun or whether that's what you do for a living, and you love creating something delicious for others to enjoy. Maybe some of you in this room are artists. Maybe we've got some Bob Rosses in the room. Whether it's painting or sketch, maybe your art is music, and when you are in that place doing that thing, it's just happiness. It is your happy place. Some of you may find happiness in a time of year. Do I have any spring-summer fans in the room? Where are my spring-summer people? You want the blooming flowers, take me to the beach, give me the warm weather. And then some of you may be fall-winter fans. Where are my fall-winter people in? These are my people. Give me the cooler weather, the nice temperatures, the changing leaves. Give me snow. Whatever snow I can get in Texas, I will take. Just not snowmageddon. I want to have my power and my water, please. We're here in East Texas, and I know some of you may be looking forward to a time of year that is coming up called deer season. And you cannot wait to sit in a deer stand all by yourself or with one other person, but you're not talking to them, and you just want to wait in silence for some unsuspecting deer that doesn't know what's about to hit him, literally. But that's that time of year, and you are so excited about it. I am also a time of year person. There's a time of year that makes me very happy, and that is Christmas. I love Christmas so much I couldn't pick just one picture to tell you about how much I love Christmas. In fact, I can tell you that today, July 31st, we are 147 days away from Christmas. <laughs> I and my family are a day after Halloween, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in our house kind of family. I just love it. But I like to take it a little further. I like to keep the spirit of Christmas alive 365 days a year. It is not uncommon for a conversation about Christmas to happen between me and my husband, say, in July, or April, or February, or really any time of year. I'll talk about Christmas. I'll find a reason to, to talk about it. If I open up a music app on my phone that I haven't used in a while, and the last playlist or station I was listening to was apparently Christmas music, I may or may not just let a song play before I go wherever I was going. I just love Christmas, I love the season. But what we've learned in this series is that happiness built by happenings is short-lived. And when we base all of our happiness on these momentary experiences, our happiness ends when the moment ends. But happiness built by the right habits is sustainable. And this has been our anchor throughout this series. We've talked about habits for happiness in relationships, in humility, in the workplace, daily habits, and stress. And when I look at this list, 
I realized that these are not the things that I typically associate with the word happiness. They're not the first thing on my mind. And today's topic, today's passage from Philippians is no different because today we're talking about how happy giving produces happy living. And giving finances may not be at the top of your happiness list, but as we see what Paul has to say in this passage, we're gonna see a completely different perspective in relation to giving and our finances. And it's because Paul knew a secret. He knew that engaging God's plan for our finances is a habit that brings happiness in our lives. So let's dive in to today's passage. Let's see what Paul has to say about giving. Again, he's writing to the Philippians and he says, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. A few weeks ago, Pastor Stephen talked about Epaphroditus, who was the courier of a financial gift that the Philippians were giving to Paul to partner with him in his ministry while he was in prison. Paul says, they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever, amen. So what are the results of happy giving? What is it that Paul sees here? What is he telling us about giving? The first result that we see is that when I give, I strengthen my faith. When I give, I strengthen my faith. Paul says, but though I appreciate your gifts, what makes me happiest is the well-earned reward you will have because of your kindness. I think sometimes we can read the Bible and we can get caught up in maybe how big the Bible is or the fact that it's God's word or maybe passages we don't understand. Maybe we're reading a version that's confusing or we're seeing the King James and we read these and thous and this isn't how I talk in my normal life. And I think sometimes we can miss something that's really happening, something powerful that's happening in a passage of scripture. And this could be one of those moments because we could just read that and keep on going. But Paul is genuinely excited about something he sees in the Philippians. Paul is pumped up as he's writing this. He says, what makes me happiest? He's excited, he's seeing something in this church that he has invested so much of his life into. He's proud of them, he's excited for them. Have any of you parents in the room ever been really excited and proud of your kids? I got a, okay, a few, a few proud parents in here, all right. My daughter, her name is Adeline, she just turned three a couple of months ago, and over the last year or so, there have been some moments that I have been so proud of her. And they are when she genuinely apologizes and when she genuinely says thank you. When she genuinely apologizes and genuinely says thank you. There will be these moments where my daughter will come up to me and say, I'm sorry, mommy, or I'm sorry, daddy. And I can tell in that moment that she is really feeling remorse for something that she did. 
whether she disobeyed something we told her to do or whether she accidentally knocked something over and it broke or it spilled. But she's beginning to feel and understand that something she did was wrong or hurt someone. And there are also these moments where my daughter will look up at me and say, thank you, mommy. And I can tell that she is so grateful. In fact, just last weekend, we moved our daughter from the crib to a toddler bed. You may be able to tell that we have another member joining our family in a few months who's going to need her crib. And so we took the plunge, we got her a toddler bed, we said, Adeline, there's a bed coming for you in the mail. And when we set it up and brought her into her room, her eyes lit up. And she said, thank you, mommy and daddy, thank you. Over this last week, I can't count how many times my daughter has said, thank you, mommy and daddy, for my new bed. She's so excited, and it's a bed. It's a basic necessity. But she's feeling gratitude for this. Why does this matter to me? Because I want my children to grow up to be adults who are able to admit when they're wrong and say I'm sorry, whether it was intentional or unintentional. And I want my kids to be able to say thank you when they recognize the blessings that God has placed in their lives, the things that mom and dad or friends, family, coworkers, you name it, have done for them. And so I do my best to cheer on my daughter when I notice these moments. I don't get it every time, but I wanna praise her. I want her to know that this is something good, that you are understanding something that Jesus wants you to understand. And in this moment, Paul is seeing fruit in this church. They're his, they're his, his sheep that he's poured into and he is seeing fruit of their faith. He sees that their faith is growing and he wants them to know you're on the right track. In fact, another version says, I seek the profit which increases to your heavenly account. See, this fruit, this profit that Paul sees coming is not going into a bank labeled Church of Philippi Incorporated. It's a heavenly account because Paul knows that when we give into God's kingdom, we are making investments that impact eternity. We're not making investments that last as long as this world lives or last as long as our lives last. Our investment in God's kingdom lasts for eternity. And I wonder if Paul looked back or thought back to the words of Jesus that say, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Our faith is strengthened when we give because we're giving toward what really matters. And the Bible doesn't tell us that all of our finances have to be poured into God's kingdom, that if, our, if we really want to be there, we've gotta give everything that we have, but God tells us and talks to us about the priorities of our finances. Because when the priorities of our finances are on anything and everything but God's kingdom, we're showing that where we really most want to be is anywhere and everywhere but God's kingdom. And so Paul is seeing this church begin to get it. They are making these investments that impact eternity and it is strengthening their faith. The next result of happy giving, I partner with God in his work here on earth. I'm partnering with God in what he's doing. Paul says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. 
the Philippians were consistently partnering with Paul. They were giving towards what he was doing. They were in partnership with this leader. So what is a partnership? We might think of ongoing association. I'm gonna be in partnership for a period of time. It's a joining together. We're going to do more when we're partnered together than we could do individually. We think of commitment. Partnership is not a one-time thing. It's something that I'm going to keep doing. In fact, partnership is a pattern of participation. And what's amazing about this is that God chooses to partner with people. Could God speak and cause his word to come into existence, his will to be done on this earth? Of course he could. Of course he could. He's God. We see this in creation. He spoke and the whole world was created. And yet God also spoke and breathed his life into humans, into you and to me. He created us in his image and he chooses to work through us, to partner with us to accomplish his purposes. We see it here in Philippians. We saw Paul talk about multiple times that the Philippians had supported his ministry. We also see it in the book of Exodus. God's people had come out of Egypt. They were about to build the tabernacle. And God's word says, so the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. In Acts, when the new church was forming, it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So what are we seeing here? What are we seeing in this pattern? Giving is an opportunity to partner with God in providing for his people and advancing his kingdom. When we give, we are a part of what God is doing. God is using us, God is using the resources in our hands to do his work, and we get to be a part of that. Let's look at the third result that Paul sees of our giving. I make God smile. What makes you smile? Think about that. Have you ever been in a moment and you just suddenly find yourself thinking of a memory that just makes you smile. Maybe something from back in your high school days or maybe it's something your kid did the other day that was funny and you're just suddenly just smiling. Just thinking about it. And then you come back to reality and realize that the smile on your face is completely inappropriate for the moment that you're actually in. You're in a meeting or in a serious conversation with someone and you were just smiling thinking about this moment that makes you happy. What makes you smile? Maybe it's a memory, an inside joke, your friends or your family members. And we might look at a statement like this and we might think it sounds a little weird. God smiles? Because I think sometimes we think that God's always scowling. He's always angry or serious. Turn to the person next to you and give them a real good scowl. Just glare at them. Some of you are like, this is the look I get from you all the time. This is nothing new. <laughs> okay, okay, stop scowling in church. Let's not have that kind of attitude. Turn back to that person. Let's make this right. Let's give them a really good smile, a genuine smile, not a creepy one. Smile. 
God smiles on his children. He smiles on you and on me. What makes God smile? Paul says, I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What is pleasing to God? What makes him smile? Paul says, it's an acceptable sacrifice. So what is an acceptable sacrifice? What is this? What are we talking about, Paul? Let's break it down. Acceptable describes a gift that is aligned with what God has asked me to give. It's aligned with what God has asked me to give. This might be in a moment where we sense God speaking to our heart and we give in response to that, but it's also an ongoing throughout our lives, giving according to what God asks us to give. And in God's word, the biblical standard of giving is the tithe. The tithe simply means 10th. It's 10% of our income, or sometimes in the Bible you'll see the word first fruits because there was an agricultural society and the living of many of these people was made by planting and harvesting crops, by raising livestock. And the Bible talks about the first and the best of what you harvest, of what you raise, belongs to the Lord. This was a pattern throughout God's word and one of the most famous verses about it is in Malachi 3.10 where God is speaking and he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then look what he says, try it. Put me to the test. Exclamation points. God isn't saying like, try me, just try me. He's saying, try me, put me to the test. Just take a step. Because the reality is that God is not going to force you to give. God is not going to pick up your hand and cause you to open up the Timber Creek app and click on give and type in a number and all of a sudden give and you go, oh wow, I just gave into God's kingdom. You have to take the step. I have to take the step. And I think that sometimes God sees us and we get into Ebenezer Scrooge mode where I'm like counting all of my coins and making sure do I have the same amount that I had yesterday and this has to go to this and this amount has to go over this and I'm just like gonna make sure I've got everything right here and we're so focused on these, on the money and on the finances and what's going where and when we look at it and we break it down and we make up our spreadsheets, it just does not seem possible to give 10% or any percent away. How am I supposed to give anything when there's always more month left at the end of my money? And I think God sees us and he looks at us over there and he sees us in that moment and he says, if you would just step out in faith, you would see what I have for you on the other side of that giving, which is an abundance, which is a blessing that you can't contain. You won't have room to take it in. But you have to take the step of faith. I have to take the step of faith. God wants to partner with us. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. Dieball and Duncan. He wants to use you. You guys there in Nacogdoches, he wants to use you. But we have to take the step of faith.
We have to trust him. Which brings us to the second part of this phrase, and that is sacrifice. I heard a pastor once put it this way, sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. We're giving up something valued for the sake of something else that we regard as more important or worthy. The truth is, sacrifice is not a fun word. It's not a happy word. It's usually painful. It's usually going against my plan or what I would rather do. So why on earth, Paul, in this book about happiness and joy and rejoicing, are you talking about sacrifice? I thought this was the happiest book of the Bible. What are you saying here? Paul is looking at an example in Jesus who gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. But it's not just about the sacrifice. Paul also knew something about the way that Jesus sacrificed. Look at this verse from Hebrews. It says, he, Jesus, was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. See, we hear happy giving and we say, that's an oxymoron. Happy and sacrifice don't mix. Doesn't make sense, doesn't compute. But in God's kingdom, in the sacrifice that we see in Jesus, there is joy in the midst of incredible sacrifice, deep, painful sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed everything for us. And because of this, when you and I give, when we sacrifice, we become more like Jesus. We look more like him. How? How do we look more like Jesus when we sacrifice? When Jesus gave, he sacrificed his wealth. He left heaven for earth. In Philippians 2, Pastor Cameron talked about this passage where we see that Jesus didn't hold on tightly to his wealth of heaven, to his status as the king of the universe. He's at the right hand of God, but he didn't hold on to it. He let go of it so that he could come to this earth. Jesus sacrificed his way. He lived a sinless life. He was fully God and fully man. He had desires that he never said yes to. There were things in the human side of Jesus that wanted, that were tempted, and yet the Bible tells us he did not give in even once. Not even once. He gave up his way and finally he gave up his will. He surrendered to God's plan and died on the cross for us. We know that Jesus said to his father, if there's any other way to do this, please let me go that way instead. And yet, the very next words out of his mouth are not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross. He sacrificed his will. And so in the same way, we're talking about being like Jesus. When I give, I sacrifice my wealth. I'm giving my finances, my possessions for the kingdom of God to advance his kingdom. I give up my way. I might be giving up my way of life, 
might be giving up some of my plans, my methods, the way I would prefer to do things, the way I might want to manage my money, because when I'm giving, I sacrifice my will. I surrender my rights, and this is what we do as Christ followers, is we're surrendering our rights. I'm surrendering my right to do things my way. I'm surrendering my right to the American dream, my right to human nature. I am saying I'm going to pursue Christ-like convictions, character, and conduct. I'm not about Courtney's convictions, character, and conduct anymore. I've given up that right to follow Jesus. And so I choose God's will over my own. In the same way that Jesus did, we have the opportunity to surrender to his will. Look again at this verse in Hebrews 12. He was willing to die because of the joy. See, Jesus had his eyes on something more important and more worthy. And so the sacrifice was worth it. Jesus saw you and he saw me having an opportunity to step into relationship with him and live with him for eternity. So it was worth it. The sacrifice was worth it, and he gave joyfully, happily. So what does joyful, happy giving look like for us? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthian church, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? He loves a what? A cheerful giver, a cheerful giver. When we give cheerfully, we look like Jesus. And God smiles on us when we imitate him. Jesus is so proud when we look like him. But let me tell you that the greatest result of our giving is not in what we give, how we give, how much we sacrifice. The greatest result of our giving is God releases blessings in my life. It's not your part. The greatest result of your happy giving is what God does. He releases blessings in my life when I give. Paul says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches and glory in Christ Jesus. These blessings that Paul saw were not based on Paul's resources. They weren't based on Paul's connections or his ministry. If I tried to bless you out of my own, out of my power, I would run out. I would run short. But Paul knows that the reward, the return for their giving isn't based on him. It's not reliant upon him. It is my God who will supply all your needs. Paul's saying God sees you. God sees your faithfulness. He sees what you've been doing. And let me tell you something. Paul's, he, Paul says, let me just tell you, God's gonna provide. And my God doesn't do things halfway. When my God provides for your needs, he's gonna provide for all your needs. Say it with me. All, all your needs. All of our needs. And Paul has complete confidence in this. He's not saying, I'm pretty sure that God will supply most of your needs. I think that God will supply the most important needs of your life. He's saying, my God will supply all your 
needs. How? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This word according to comes from a Greek word, just four letters, not the four letter words in English, so don't even go there. We're talking about this word kata, and it's simply a preposition. And you're wondering, why are we looking at a preposition? I thought when we looked at the Bible words, Bible language, we're supposed to look at the cool words. Why are we looking at a preposition right now? Because Paul's choice of preposition here is very interesting. This word kata means according to, in relation to. It has a note of similarity to it. Paul could have used a completely different preposition to say out of or from his riches, but he says that God blesses according to his riches. So what do the riches of God look like? Psalm 24 says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. What are the riches of God? Literally everything. Everything, everything belongs to God. King David recognized this and he prayed a prayer to God that is one of the most beautiful prayers, I think, in the Bible. He said, but who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. It all belongs to him. It's all his anyway. Everything I'm holding in my hands and having in my possession isn't even really mine. It's his. It's his. And so when Paul says, according to his riches, he's saying God's blessings are not only out of or from his riches, but also in accordance with them. In accordance with with them. See, God doesn't want to give you a little piece of his abundance. He's not slicing off a little piece of his pie because he's about to run out. When God blesses his people, he wants his blessings to look like the abundance that belongs to him. And I believe that that is why we see these verses in the Bible that talk about overflowing. I'm gonna pour out beyond what you can contain because that's the kind of blessing that looks like what is God's. God's is everything and he wants to bless his people in a way that shows, in a way that points out, in a way that makes it clear, they are mine, they are walking in faithfulness with me. That's the way he wants to bless you. That's the way he will Bless you. Look again at this verse, Philippians 4.19. It's our summer vibes to memorize for this week. He says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Come on, church, let's say that together. Nacogdoches, I wanna hear you. Here we go. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. These final words of this passage, Paul is telling the Philippians, and he's telling you and me today, the God of the universe wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. The God of the universe, the God who owns everything, the God who spoke this world into existence wants to bless you and me but we need to know that we have to be in the right posture to receive 
these blessings. If you've been here at Timber Creek, you've heard a phrase we use from time to time saying, palms up. And when we say palms up, we refer to this life of openness, surrender to God. See, when my palms, my fists are closed, I can't give and I can't receive. But when my palms are open, and I'm saying, God, everything I have is yours. It's all yours to begin with. Take what you need to take. But my palms are also open to receive what he wants to give me. But I wanna add something here to this phrase that is well known to us here at Timber Creek as we're walking through this particular part of scripture and say that the right posture in our giving is happily, palms up. We're happily walking in surrender. So how, how do I do this? How do I engage in happy giving that produces happy living? We first pray with palms up. We surrender and ask God what he is asking me to give. And then obey with palms up. Give, take a next step. I take a next step in my giving journey. You might wonder, what is a giving journey? Here at Timber Creek, we, we illustrate it with something that we call the giving ladder. Some of you have seen this over the last couple of months. And this ladder simply relates to the journey that all of us are on. All of us are potential givers. Every single one of us have the potential to give. And as we begin to give, we become an emerging giver. We're giving from time to time as I feel really led or maybe as I have a little bit of extra money this week or this month. And we're emerging into giving. And then maybe we step into consistent giving, saying regardless of what my finances look like, regardless of what I'm doing or where I am or whether I'm in church that Sunday or not, I am going to make giving a part of my life, a part of my spiritual journey. Then there's tithe, a tithe giver, the 10% that we talked about. And you might say, I thought that you said that tithe was the biblical standard, and it's pretty far up the ladder. And that is the biblical standard, and I believe that there are certain blessings that are reserved for that step of obedience that God asks us to walk in. But he knows that all of us are on a journey, and he walks with us in that journey. That's who he is. And then this last step on our ladder is extravagant giver, but this is not a destination. It's a lifestyle. It's a life of praying with palms up and obeying with palms up. It's surrendering to him. It's continuing to take the next steps in our giving journey that God calls us to take. So we pray with palms up and we obey with palms up. And you might say, that sounds really nice and it rhymes, but that's really hard to do. And I want you to know that I understand. But more importantly than me understanding, Jesus understands. He knows what it feels like to sacrifice everything. He knows the pain of it. He knows the struggle of it. He knows what it is to obey and surrender with palms up, not my will but yours be done. There was a moment in my giving journey that was one of the most important for me in my life. I was a freshman at Bible college at a school called Sagu, just south of Dallas. And every single semester or every year, we would have the opportunity to give toward a certain ministry or project. 
And we would have something at the beginning of the semester called Commitment Week. And every student would have the opportunity to pray and ask God what he was directing them to give. It was much like we all did together as a church in All In just this spring. And so I prayed and God laid a number on my heart that was pretty significant considering the fact that I didn't have a job. I was relying on money that I had saved up working at Chick-fil-A, serving Jesus chicken, amen. Praise God. Over the summer, and my parents were gonna give a little bit of money each month to help keep gas in my car, and that was it. So I wrote my commitment card, and I said, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you over this course of this semester. I'm gonna give what you've told me to give. And so I filled out that card, turned it in near the beginning of the week, and within 24 hours of turning in that card, I had another next step from God. And I knew that he was telling me to give the full amount that week. And I remember thinking, I'm sorry, what, God? You know I'm a freshman, right? I've never done this before. I don't have a job right now. And I'm gonna give this full amount that's a pretty good chunk of what I've been saving to live on. But I knew that I knew that I knew that God had spoken. And so I wrote the check. And by the end of commitment week, I had given my full commitment. And God took care of me. God took care of me. He sustained me. I never had a moment where I was worried I was going to overdraft my account. But God didn't just provide for what I needed. There was a mission trip going from Sagu, one of several that would go out that summer right after my first year. And one of them was going to Ireland. And I thought it would be amazing to go on a mission trip to Ireland. But the money for these trips was completely raised by fundraising. And there were some small fundraisers that teams would partner up and do together. But a lot of the money for these mission trips was raised by writing letters and asking friends and family if they would support you. And through fundraising, God provided more than enough for the cost of my trip. And I got to spend 17 days in Ireland advancing God's kingdom in another part of the world. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. But God's blessings for me that year were not even just financial. God blessed me in, my, in that first year with some of the most important relationships of my life, from professors who would invest in me throughout my college career to a group of girls who lived on my hall that we became inseparable. And to this day, we still have a text group as we're married and living in different parts of the country, but we're staying in touch, celebrating new life of, as we're having children and praying over each other in the difficult moments that life sends our way. The most important relationship that came out of my freshman year was with the man who would become my husband and our relationship started and began to develop in that year. Now, am I saying that all of these things happened in my life because I wrote a little check? Not necessarily. But what I know is that as I have walked in faithfulness, as, as I have taken next steps, as I've prayed with palms up and obeyed with palms up in my life, I have seen him provide all of my needs. I have seen him bless me beyond what I can contain. And it's not because I'm faithful. It's not because Courtney made the right move. It's because he is faithful because I haven't gotten it right every time. But he has, he has. And now, 
as I, I've stepped into marriage and as I walk this out with my husband and as we own a home and have kids and we're walking this journey and going all in together, these moments where I have to take another step of faith in my giving journey, I find that step a little easier because I saw him faithful then with a teeny tiny amount now compared to bills and compared to mortgage and compared to daycare costs. But I trusted him then and he was faithful so I know I can trust him now with the next step that he's giving me. So we pray with palms up and obey with palms up in this happy giving that produces happy living, what is my next step? As you begin to ask God what your next step might be, I wanna encourage you, just like Paul encouraged the Philippians, I know, I've seen it. As you trust him, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. So what's the next step for you? Maybe some of you are already giving faithfully Maybe you even filled out a commitment card for All In earlier this year. And I want to say to you exactly what Paul said. You are on the right track. Keep it up, stay faithful, keep trusting. Don't be discouraged in it. Don't give up, keep doing it. You're strengthening your faith. Your giving is impacting eternity. Maybe some of you have lost the joy of giving. You're giving, but there's no happiness in it. There's no joy in it. And I want you to know that God wants you to experience that joy. And you can simply ask him to give you that same joy that he had, that Jesus had, when he went to the cross for you. Remind yourself of these scriptures we've seen, these promises of God's word, that he is smiling on you and your faithfulness. God wants to restore your joy in giving. And some of you may have never trusted God in this area of your life. Or you sense God saying, it's time to take a next step. I'm calling you to a next step. And I would just wanna encourage you to take that just see what he does. Just see what he has in store. He is going to be faithful to you. Some of you may be there at Dieball and Duncan are wondering, how can I give? God might be calling you to give up your will, give up your way. You have prayer cards that you'll have an opportunity to fill out and maybe you're needing to give God that area of worry, anxiety, anger, or fear and surrender that to him. And you can write that down on that prayer card and turn that in today. Let's look back at this scripture one more time. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And these last three words are key. In Christ Jesus. You see, relationship with Jesus is the foundation for these results of happy giving. It's the foundation for every habit for happiness that we've talked about in this series. God's promises in his word are for those who are putting their faith and trust in him. And some of you today need to take advantage of the opportunity Jesus is giving you to step into relationship with him. The best gift that you can give Jesus is your life. It's your life. And the best blessing that God can give you is eternal life with him.
And some of you today, that's your next step. I'd like all of you to please bow your heads with me and close your eyes. If you are in this room, if you're watching today and you know that you need to step into relationship with Jesus, you wanna make that commitment, if you would just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. God sees you. He's smiling at you right now. He cannot wait for this journey with you. You can step into that relationship with Jesus by saying a simple prayer. It might go something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for giving happily and joyfully because you saw me. Today, I give my life to you. I choose you. I accept you as my Savior. And I trust my life to you. I ask that you would help me to live for you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. For others of you, heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you would like to be included in a prayer today for happy giving in your life, if you would just raise your hand, whether that's saying, I want God to help me continue giving faithfully. Maybe you're saying, God is calling me to a next step and, or a first step and I'm wanting to take it today. Maybe you're saying, I need joy restored in my giving. I wanna pray over you. My hand is up too. I wanna continue walking in the giving that Jesus gave for me and the example he set. Let's pray together. God, for every person in this room, I pray that you would help us to walk in true, happy giving that looks like the giving that you exemplified for us. Whether we're taking a first step of trusting you in our finances and it's scary and we can't see how it's going to add up, whether we've lost joy in giving and we need to see your joy and we need to know you're smiling on us again, or whether we need you to help us walk faithfully in what you, we have committed to you. God, I pray that you would bless us in happy giving, and may we see your abundant life that you have for us. In Jesus' name.